Hi, I'm Bill Furlong, and along with my colleague, Dr. Mary Crossan, we co-host our podcast, Question of Character, where we answer all of your questions about the Ivy Leader Character Framework. We are delighted you can join us today. And remember, if this is the first time you've heard about leadership character, we'd suggest you listen to episodes one and two. They're kind of like a a leader character 101 A and B, and that'll give you sort of the the basics and the, the kind of the foundations of the Ivy Leader Character Framework. And I think it'll make this podcast and this episode and other episodes easier to follow. And I think you'll get a lot more out of it as well. So now I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. She's a distinguished university professor at Western University, teaching at the Ivy Business School in London, Ontario. Her research has been widely published in some of the world's most prestigious academic journals. And she's also the author of the book, Developing Leadership Character. She is Dr. Mary Crossan. Hello, Mary. How are you? I'm good, Bill. Great to be here. Great to see you again, Mary. So today we'd like to introduce you to our special guest. He's a graduate of Western University with an undergraduate degree in political science and an MBA. He's worked in London's capital markets for nearly 25 years in senior roles such as origination, risk, and board governance, which included chairing a major investment bank's global commitment committee. In 2014, he joined the Financial Conduct Authority, which oversees and regulates the UK's financial markets as an advisor in the wholesale banking area, where he's led their critical flagship five conduct questions program. We'll talk about that a little bit later, I hope. He's also a fully accredited mediator and is a member of Western University's UK Foundation Board, which he actually chaired for 10 years. He's also very musical and plays the drums and guitar, and has also been an unofficial ambassador for the Ivy, Ivy Business School, and in particular, the Leader Character Program. He is Ted McDonald. Welcome, Ted, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. It's a real pleasure to be here. So, Ted, welcome to our uh, episode today. Uh, thanks for joining us. So, Ted, I think the question we ask a lot of our guests, uh, and I'd like to ask you again today as well, is what was your first introduction to leadership character? How did you hear about it? And, and you know, what was it about leadership character that appealed to you? Well, working within the investment banks and then as a regulator, we do focus on rules underpinned by principles. Um, and it was pretty clear that these only go so far. And there is this regular attempt to you know, create more rules or better rules or more incisive rules. Uh, but they were missing a trick in a way because they weren't getting to the hearts and minds in, in quite the way you want. And leader character struck me as the thing that could reach into those corners where rules and regulations just don't get. Uh, and I thought this is exactly what can be a game changer. Perfect. So, I mean, we're going to talk a bit about that as well, right, as, as to how that actually works. Now, before we get maybe a two bit further, and I was a regulator once myself, I mean, I think we want to provide some sort of a disclaimer today around the nature of your comments are really more your own personal comments and not those of the FCA. Is that right? I presently work as an advisor at the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, uh, and I'm happy to mention some of the activity that we've done there on, on leader character. And uh, uh, I do have to say up front, though, that whatever I say today is 100% TED and not the Financial Conduct Authority policy in any sort of way. You know, it's not our role as a regulator to, um, uh, to, to, to do that. So, you know, Bill, you guys have talked about uh, Ted's background, but what's interesting for me as an academic, uh, 
and, and seeing both of you on screen is pretty amazing here because I don't know two uh, practitioners who have taken on the leader character work as much as both of you. And I only wish there were more people who had that kind of curious, you know, mindset to say, there's an awful lot that could be done here because that engaged scholarship approach that you talked about in partnership, which I think we'll get to in this episode, talks about the great things that we can do when we marry up the, you know, deep theory and empirical work, uh, which is great science with practice. And uh, so I, what I love about this episode, and, I, and I'm really grateful uh, to both of you for the efforts you put in all of these years. So it's really fun to do this episode. So then let's talk a little bit about, let's go straight to the idea of, of character and conduct, and in particular in, in, in financial services. Misconduct has been, an, has been an issue in all kinds of industries. We've seen issues, for example, in the auto industry and in consulting and aerospace. Why do you think misconduct has been such a persistent and widespread issue in financial services? Any thoughts on that? Well, two big ones leap to mind immediately, uh, priming and compensation. So with priming, uh, I mean, there's lots of examples in research on the impact or the effect that uh, proximity to money or money activity can have on your thinking or your predisposition or uh, the way you behave. So that's interesting. The fact that you're around money and perhaps trading hundreds of millions at a time and, you know, commitment committee meetings for a billion, we've got 10 minutes. Um, this is all pretty uh, energizing stuff. And your salary might seem like such a small little piece of it, but compensation becomes a big factor. Uh, and I think early on, you know, in 2000 and before, and, and, and even more recently, the compensation programs for banks and a lot of uh, firms in the financial services industry was a little bit like sales commission. It's been reined in a bit. It's been contained a bit. It's better than it was. There are some areas where it still isn't. Um, but the compensation is, is a driver. You know, if you take the risk, you can make the money. If you make a mistake and lose a lot, well, you know, maybe you'll get fired, but you'll get hired again, probably. Uh, and maybe you won't get fired and you can live another day because it wasn't your capital. You're still in the game. So uh, it was a bit of like a free ride in a way. Uh, so there's been some attempts to you know, rein in remuneration so it's a bit better, more balanced. Um, that effort continues. But I think those are the two main things that uh, drive it. So it's fair to say some progress has been made, but you know, is there a view that there's more that's left to be done? Uh, I mean, this is really something that picked up after the 08 financial crisis, right? And and a lot of work has been done, but is there still more left to be done? Is that kind of the view, generally speaking, amongst the industry and regulators? So focusing on purpose makes a difference. And uh, a lot of big organizations have really invested in you know, reframing their purpose uh, in, in a way that gets the attention of their staff and the support of their staff, as well as external stakeholders. And that's a good thing. Um, they've also started to look a little bit more closely at behavior um, and thinking about uh, uh, how they can affect that and, and change behavior. You know, behavior science is behavioral psychology. It's like it's a new thing. It's not new. It's been around for quite a while. Um, but it's certainly been grabbed 
onto by organizations now as they realize that here is something that they can tap into that will move them up another step. Um, maybe not all the way. Uh, they need leader character for that. Um, but certainly, certainly another step. So I'm glad to see the um, impact of, of behavioral science now beginning to take root. A lot of organizations like our own have one or more teams uh, of behavioral scientists uh, engaged in their activity. Bill, one thing I would like to maybe pick up and foreshadow is the nice link between Ted's uh, idea of purpose and character around transcendence. Uh, because I think the very act, and I think you, you really talk about it, a purpose, you know, to, when it's done in, a, in the proper way, where you do activate the hearts and minds of uh, individuals in it, in many ways, you're activating on character, you're activating on transcendence and accountability and courage. So I think when we get to talk about that a little bit later, uh, this is a nice link uh, to the importance of character as it relates to purpose. That's good, Mary. And so let's, you're right, let's get back to that. The other part too, when I think about Ted's discussion around uh, behavioral scientists and, and behavioral psychologists on staff, I mean, part of what that does is it helps you identify and understand behaviors, but it might not necessarily help you change behaviors or to get the behaviors that you want. And I think that's one of the contributions that I've I think as we talk about this a bit more is where leader character has a role to play is to, is to, is to drive that activity that, that where you want it to go. Leader, leader character gets the stuff you see painted on the lobby walls into your heart rather than, yeah. So Ted, you know, and how has COVID-19 affected things? I mean, everyone's, I mean, the, the transition occurred extremely quickly, but now everyone's working from home. And to what extent have you seen, that affect things like behavior and culture and conduct. Yeah, it's it's the world's largest Petri dish ever. Um, and it was a shock and it was sort of a novelty for a few days uh, for staff to be working from home suddenly. Um, but it, it, it became a bit more of a shock later as they realized that everyone's sense of uh, isolation and working from home was unique, uh, depending on where they were depending on the circumstances, whether they had a desk or not, or whether they were using an ironing board while sitting on the bed uh, to, to do their work. And the person in the next room worked for a different bank and you had to be careful what you said because of conflicts of interest and, and that sort of thing. It was pretty tricky. So uh, all sorts of conduct issues were like screaming. Um, firms admitted, you know, we, we can't do all the usual stuff we could do and I think all the regulators said, do the best you can and fix it fast, uh, which is what happened. Um, so longer term now, it's been a year. Uh, you can see the, the fissures. A lot of people want to work from home permanently and, uh, or that there's definitely a permanent shift there to, to what we call hybrid working, sometime at home, sometime at the office and balance it the way you think best. But one of the good things that came from all this from a culture and chronic point of view was the focus of attention on well-being, um, where management realized they really do have to pay attention and get this right. And you know, the degree that people actually cared, their sense of humanity came out naturally uh, for like, oh gosh, uh, the situation some people were in. So, you know, that was <laughs> that was helpful. 
Um, and I think we need to hopefully you know, leverage that a bit, not forget it uh, and carry that into the future with us and don't rush back to the office and, and everything's the same as it was before. That would be the worst outcome ever. So it, it had pluses and minuses, but it has a big impact and there's more to come. So there's there's a couple of threads in there, Ted, I think would like to sort of pursue, uh, uh, in particular, the one around well-being. But before we get to that, you know, so we painted this picture where conduct has been an issue for, for organizations. We're talking today about FIs. Um, and uh, it's something that the institutions have been working on, the regulars have been focused on. Yet we also know that there's more work to be done and that in some ways COVID-19 has exacerbated that. So where do you think that leader character now can actually fit into this? And this is something we've talked about and discussed and written about before. Where do you think leader character, what the role does that have in, in doing things which are different that's been done in the past? What, what potential and promise does it hold? Can you sort of lay out a few things on that, on that conduct side of it? Yeah, I think um, the, if I talk about the concept of the model for a second, you know, it's a nice round circle. It's got 11 elements, uh, including a central hub of judgment. It's, um, it's a neat and tidy little thing. And whether you're, uh, you know, sitting at the top of the organization, somewhere in the middle or nearer the bottom, uh, it can still have a very positive impact on you. Um, I thought it was, well, I was just sort of grateful and, and appreciative when I was asked to do some leader character sessions for some staff because it was 12 months into this pandemic and people were a bit sort of going through a low patch and Ted, can you cheer us up a bit and, and can you show us how you use the leader character model to kind of get a grip again and get a sense of balance and, and realize that everybody can't be at their best all the time, but also just being a little bit more alert to you know, your team members and, and how they look and, and how they're behaving and appreciating that there, you know, there's probably quite a story behind it of which we, we know very little. Uh, this that particular session had the biggest audience I've ever had for for a leader character session in, in the FCA. Um, so I was I thought that was good. Leader character is like a well, I called it a treasure chest one time, uh, full of of potential to give you that sense of balance. And if you're the the big cheese, the CEO, making very tough judgment calls, being able to uh, think about it in the round. Uh, and challenge yourself, am I making the best possible decision for the most people or for different groups? Maybe I can split my decision, do this here and do that there. Uh, I think that's a very positive thing. And, and I, I see some of that happening. One of the things that we've written about when we've diagnosed, if you will, misconduct has been the idea that um, a lot of times people look at misconduct in, in an organization and we'll pick banks, for example, and they'll say, oh, that's a, that's a moral issue. That's a bad person doing a bad thing. And, and we've kind of reframed that a little bit and said, you know, actually, and this goes back to the point you just made a moment ago, Ted, around judgment, is that actually it's, it's actually a person been placed in a position or a context, and we've talked about how the context in financial services can be quite challenging, where they've made a poor judgment. And that if only their character was a bit stronger, uh, they might have actually looked at the situation differently and using a, using a stronger character, which would lead to a stronger judgment, produce a better outcome. And they wouldn't necessarily have gone down the path. 
I mean, is that is that something that you've you know you, you you've sort of seen and looked at and, and and think that that would be the stronger you can make individuals' character inside organizations, making that connection to stronger judgments, which ultimately would lead to better misconduct and, of course, better performance. Is that is that a view that you would subscribe to as well? Yeah, it certainly is. If I still lived on a trading floor, I'd probably have a lot more examples uh, to talk about. But I think that if you're if you truly want to uh, you know, operate in line with you know, the purpose of the organization, you know, why you're there, um, then you, you want to have the skill set to do as well or better than anybody else. And it's, it's certainly not just about being a nice chap and being polite and, and all that sort of thing. I think you need a bit more than that. Yeah, for sure, Ted. People often think about character as being somebody who's nice or you know, it's about ethical decision-making. But the, the notion is the misconduct, poor judgment, it often comes from people who are really high performers, often lack humility, lack collaboration. You know, they get into some trouble. Uh, they're usually trying to fix it and dig a bit deeper hole than they had previously. The anatomy of failed decisions in organizations, whether it's FIs or others, has that kind of quality of pattern about it, right? So we, we use the term cover up, but, but for the person who's doing it, they're actually thinking they're fixing it. Uh, they don't want to admit that there's been a problem. They know that they'll probably uh, bring others down with them if they do. And it, so we see this kind of issue about really poor judgment based on deficiencies that start with character. So that, that's one area. The other one that worries me is we, we presume, I think, people are superhuman. Uh, and superhuman would re- require a lot of character. Just think about leaders in organizations, particularly under COVID, how much cr- critique, how much adversity, how much challenge that they face. And you say, what human can undertake all of that and not crumble under the pressure? You know, I think it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of drive, takes a lot of accountability, a lot of transcendence. And if we haven't exercised those muscles, you know, we're going to be in the arena of crucible moments and find ourselves um, challenged. The one that really worries me is also accountability. It's the walk on by problem or why bother? People just don't have it in them. You know, it's like they're barely hanging on. So why are they gonna call out other behavior or problems? They just don't have it in them. And to me, if you don't have it in you, we're talking about character. We're talking about a muscle that needs to be developed so that you do have it in you not to walk on by. And I think there's a lot of walking on by in the uh, in the COVID era. Yeah, one of the, the little things I've done before I was at the FCA uh, a bit as well was just to ask people almost facetiously, are you getting enough sleep? And is your executive team getting enough sleep? And it was a bit of a ha-ha moment uh, after having presented all these beautiful slide packs about how everything, every, how fantastic everything was. Um, but it opened up another discussion on yeah, if you're really tired, stuff goes out the window and uh, you do make the mistakes and oh gosh. And well, what mistakes would you make if you were cold, wet, tired and hungry? 
uh, and that tells you a little bit right away, but well, that might be a, an area for development for character. Look at your teams, where might they come apart? And once again, that's pointing to potential areas. And I think, you know, in an industry like financial services, where it's 24 hours a day, go, 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 drive, drive, drive. A lot of people are in at five and home at midnight. I'm not just talking about the juniors we read about uh, in the paper these days. Um, I think the sleep question opens up the discussion, which takes you to leader character deficiencies. I was just going to pick up, Ted, is that, you know, it's interesting. They do a lot of studies on sleep with surgeons to, to say, you know, take it seriously because you're under the knife and uh, you lose cognitive function. Why don't we take some of this seriously in other professions where decisions are just as lethal, where um, a lot of things that can really crumble as a result of it. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, and that, of course, as we think about drive, vitality, the element of vitality and drive is predicated on a physical energy to be able to do what you need to do, which fuels the cognitive energy. So it's really critical. It kind of goes back again to what we've talked about in the past is when people are in financial services and they're in these environments and they are high performers, there's no doubt they've got strengths in terms of competency and a number of strengths across character. But what will happen <clears throat> sometimes is that those very strengths um, actually turn, they, they, they overwhelm some of the other elements of and dimensions of character that aren't as strong, so the humanity or the humility, or perhaps uh, something like the, the temperance. And it's then when I think we start to see these derailments, because there's no question that people that are high performance possess a number of strengths in character, but it, the derailments occur because other ones, other virtues get turned into vices. And I think the idea of the framework is, is that you have to have, and what I think I find really helpful is that you have to have strength across all of the dimensions to make sure that you're actually acting in this balanced, holistic fashion, which includes things like well-being, but it also includes, you know, pressure uh, it also includes making decisions under pressure yeah i i couldn't agree more um it is a, a pressurized environment and you know when you have high performers um it's it's interest, interesting to look at um who's unhappy uh related to the high performance if your support network is being ground down because you're just not considerate or empathetic at all about their deadlines and and that sort of thing. It's all about your P&L. Now, you know, that's that's not a great advertisement for being promoted, although that does happen. So now let's move from individual behavior to culture. And I one way of looking at culture, and I'd like to get your view on this, Ted and Mary, is that really culture is the amalgamation, the aggregation, if you will, of every individual's conduct inside of, of that organization. So would you agree that that's the case, that really culture is the aggregation of individual conduct? And, and as we're, we're tying together a conduct and character, that it's really the, you know, the aggregate of the character of the organization and its leaders? Ted, any, any thought on that, Ted? Well, I think that works in theory. And I subscribe to that theory, that, that behavior and you know, common, regular, repetitive, uh, predictable behavior uh, is a, a good indicator indicator of you know, the kind of culture and the, the cultural health an organization might have. Um, and if you're an organization of 25 people, 
uh, you might be able to get your arms around it completely. Uh, when you're 250,000 or whatever, it's a different matter. Uh, even in, in a you know, one location, if you're walking across different sort of product areas or support areas or the IT department or the kitchen, or you're just going to see all sorts of cultures emerge. And you can't sit back and go, hmm. Uh, and I don't think we try to, or anybody tries to, or the regulators don't try to, but they try to get a sense of where could the culture go wrong in a place where it would make a difference and cause harm. And that's where we start to pay attention. Uh, and that's when we start to look at patterns of behavior and the predisposition to do something or to, 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 to not have a strong enough disposition to avoid problems. I think you just want to get a sense of is there cultural health uh, in the effort from senior management and elsewhere in the firm to cultivate a way of doing things as a group? Uh, and we, well, as a regulator, the FCA talks a lot about, you know, diversity and inclusion and psychological safety and the strength of purpose as that guiding point and uh, such like. And of course, the rules and the regs, and we'll find you if we uh, get you out in a bad, bad way. But I think that culture has everyone's attention right now, and that's a good thing for, for a bit. Bill, one thing I would add is that although we often talk about culture as a reflection of the character of the individuals within organizations, a piece where you really see it play out, which relates to something that Ted talked about earlier, it's uh, the nature of the relationship between people and how it reveals their character. So it's the quality of the conversations. You know, I, Ted, I was really picking up on where one group tends to, you know, make it difficult or uh, not really have respect for another group. Uh, grind them down, I think was your the term that you used, where we see people undermining others in organizations. Well. This is what leads to the problems of not having a psychologically safe environment, right? So it's not psychologically safe because we have weaknesses in character that lead to the, the kind of problem in the conversations that we have one to another where people do not feel they can trust, respect, feel like they're heard, you know, feel like people are not acting in their in their self-interest. So Bill, what I would add to that kind of uh, depiction that we have, culture as a reflection of character of the individuals in the organization revealed in the conversations uh, very, in a very observable way between people. Okay, I think uh, there's another element I, I would add to that as well. And that is if you do have a psychologically safe environment, which is created by all your colleagues, not by the CEO, um, but that environment is there, and you still have a bit of reticence to speak up, as safe as it might be, um, leader character and the development of character strength is, is what can help bring you up to the uh, ability to actually say something. And that's what I was talking about earlier, right? The, you know, the why bother walking on by, those kinds of issues, Again, we know that the anatomy of failed decisions are exactly that kind of quality, where, right, where people don't bring up uh, the issues. They don't bring them up 
strong enough, they don't bring them up in a repeated way. And, uh, you know, organizations end up walking on by and having those, those really uh, egregious kinds of problems. And that brings me back, though, to the idea that strengthening the character of the individuals inside of an organization, it, it, um, it addresses that. It addresses the, the, the case of the individual who, in a, in, a, in a very sort of discrete circumstance, is trying to manage a problem, and they manage it the right way using judgment. But it also addresses the issues of the quality of the conversations and the sense of, of perspective and the sense of respect that people have to have in their, in their everyday conversations too. So the idea that an organization investing in the individual character or the character of all the individuals in the organization will start to see those elements of culture move forward in a very positive way. I don't see how it could not do that. Am I wrong about that? Or, or is that, does that make sense? And is that what you've observed and seen? Yeah, that makes absolute sense. You know, I've I've borrowed that curve of yours about behavior where Nelson Mandela lives out on one end and people that belong in jail live at the other end. And we've, we've spent a lot of time as regulators or compliance departments or legal departments, whatever, enforcing around the bad end. Uh, and regulators, of course, are interested in that uh, and, you know, catching... Uh, breaches and uh, fraudulent behavior, etc. But they're they're interested in the whole curve, um, in the sense that good people, I can call that at your you know Nelson Mandela end of the curve, we don't want them to backslide. We want them to be fully and properly supported so that they stay at that end of the curve. And if they're in the middle where the rules are really important and they they bump right up right up against those rules from time to time. Well, it's important that they be supported as well. And I think leader character and judgment calls are so important because these aren't necessarily, you know, it's not a question of ethics, usually, as I think you've uh, discovered in your research that judgment explains a lot more. And so I think that the leader character approach um, has a big role to play in the health of that leading front end of the curve, which is most of the people in the industry, as opposed to the determined fraudster, where no amount of leader characters may be going to help. That brings us then to, uh, so what what can be done? You know, more, more practically speaking, we can sort of see the theoretical link and the conceptual link. What can be done? What has been done? What have you seen done uh, that are the kinds of things that, that do work in terms of addressing uh, the culture? Because I think, I think banks and FIs have really struggled with trying to change the culture over time. So any thoughts, Ted or Mary, on, on what you've seen worked or, or what you, you know, the, the things that organizations should really start to tackle? Well, I've seen more progress on conduct than I have, say, on culture. Culture is much harder to take a view on. My main reference point for culture is making sure that people haven't let up on the effort because you can never let up on that effort. That is a life, it's a job forever sort of thing. And we mentioned this past year in our latest sort of engagement report, Tone from Within. Uh, fundamentally, it's about tone from within. You want individuals to develop a sense of character uh, and ability to make judgments in alignment with their corporate purpose. Um, and tone from within is what tone from the top is trying to encourage development of. It's, it's better to know it's, it's important to know what you think and what you would do on your own 
rather than second guess or what the CEO might do in this situation? Bill, I, I, I would say that um, until organizations start to grasp what it takes to develop character, they won't understand the problem of culture change because it is, it is such a, uh, it's such a deep, you know, piece of work to do like it, like exercise. If you want to go and, 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 you know, put attention into your health, you know, what fitness and nutrition looks like, and you exercise uh, that on a daily basis and you take wise counsel on the science of what that looks like. I don't think we've seen organizations take that seriously when it comes to character. So what we're trying to do is describe the behavior that we see uh, and assume that maybe if we put the right incentives in place, we'll get the right behavior. Kind of a Pavlovian, you know, dog notion of humanity. It is absolutely insufficient to deal with the, the vexing problem that we're talking about. Even on the uh, podcast that we did on equity, diversity, and inclusion, he said, I don't, I, we don't know how you can actually address that agenda without the apparatus of character to do it because you've got issues of humanity and humility and justice and accountability that get you into core beliefs that can be quite fixed as to how people operate in the world. And so if you, if you want to rewire, rewire the culture of an organization, you really have to take seriously uh, the development of character of the individuals. And that is a pretty big uh, task. Now, the good news, again, uh, as somebody like me coming from strategy and the language of competitive advantage, that should be something of great interest to organizations because it does create sustainable competitive advantage when you have something that is difficult to do, but leads to lasting and enduring advantage uh, and high performance. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty impressive area of investment. I'd, I'd like to follow up on that point of competitive advantage. When we first started talking about conduct, with the industry, uh, there was a lot of confusion, a bit of resistance, and what is all this about? And um, you know, what do we have to do, etc. Um, but the the firms that understood it the best realized early that um, doing doing the the job well of developing good conduct would be a competitive advantage, and. They have left their competitors some distance behind. Um, so I think that if they appreciate that character and character strength would give them a competitive advantage, then we'll be off to the races. So we've talked about how, um, how much benefit there is to organizations in terms of competitive advantage and, and outcomes if they invest in character at the individual level, yet we've not seen, or we've seen organizations begin to take that process on what do you think? Uh, you know, what do you think? Maybe are the hurdles, or the obstacles, or the barriers uh, that that organizations, you know, sort of need to overcome before they 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 start to do more of this uh, engagement and leader character uh, going forward. There's a great deal of enthusiasm whenever I introduce this topic uh, into to a new group who see it for the first time, uh, and then they they might see me afterwards. 
Um, but then like, what do I do next? And, and how do I keep this going? Uh, and that's where uh, maybe a little bit more help is, is needed to get it to bed down more, the follow through. You know, Bill, I think uh, the Virtuosity app is exactly that gap that we wanted to fill there is to say, so what happens when somebody says, I, w I want the program to be able to do this, that, that, that was the gap that we really wanted to fill with that. But, you know, even without that, what, what I'm finding with organizations is a very simple matter of how can you start to put character in the foreground of discussions? So for example, with Canada Border Service Agency recently, where they had an executive forum and they talked about what had happened and how they managed the last year in the pandemic. And they, they, they were describing and having you know, stories about what had occurred. Well, what I loved about what they did was they didn't focus so much on the what they did and how they did it. They focused on who they were to be able to, you know, for example, close the border in 24 hours. What does that look like? You know, where you have to write the policy to be able to do that, that is still lasting today. And I think, I think for organizations is that even starting on the path of understanding what character is, they, they can bring it in the foreground of conversation. And if I take it to the earlier point I made, now imagine in our conversations where they're going sideways and we say, huh, all right, what, what's going on here? You know, this is, we're not bringing our best self to this conversation. Uh, let's, let's, let's take a moment. Let's take a breath. We'd be called temperance, right? Around that. Let's figure out why we need to get on the same page. Might be getting into areas of purpose around that. So when you start to bring character into the foreground, it becomes a tool that you can use explicitly in your own development, in the management of your conversations. And as we've talked about in other episodes, beginning to embed it in all facets of your organization. So I think, Bill, to your question, it's, it's hard, but it is, there are ways to do it. So uh, I think they, they, that the tools that we're putting in place are getting us ever closer to being able to do it. Thanks, Mary. And that kind of brings us then a little bit to, to Ted. You know, we've talked a little bit about FIs and the oversight of FIs and how they can change it. You've had some experience with using leadership character in the role of the supervisor. Did you want to share that? You know, share that experience with us a, a little bit. Okay, so, um, uh, a couple of things we did. Uh, several. So one of the first things we did was, as a, as a regulator, we invited the CEOs of the top twenty global investment banks uh, for a roundtable, as we do from time to time, and we sat them in front of. You, Bill, and Mary, and uh, a few others from Ivy, um, just to introduce the concept. Um, and I think uh, it's fair to say that that was quite a lively session that they won't soon forget. Uh, and a number of those banks have, have followed up uh, with the program, as you know. Um, but others who weren't in attendance, I'm still in discussion with, who heard about it, who expressed an interest, and who followed up and sort of kept in touch about it a little bit. Um, so that was a, a good thing to, so to do externally uh, to get some initial just awareness of it. But internally, uh, we exposed our 
management team, my colleagues, uh, to the leader character and the 360 review process, just to test drive it as a not as an HR thing, just as a, a training exercise. And it was a runaway success. People came up to me afterwards and said, never in their careers have they had such useful feedback on how they conduct themselves. And Mary followed up with a, a presentation to uh, staff at the FCA, which we videotaped. And it was the, one of the most popular videos on our site for quite a while. So th there was a real appetite for it. We did a, a workshop, and uh, these are just general supervisors, um, not management uh, people. And in groups of two or three, they would take a dimension and a blank piece of paper, and they, they wrote out how that dimension manifested when they were out talking to firms and supervisors, how it manifested in the office dealing with their team members and, and whatnot, and how it might manifest at home or on the football pitch or you know, whatever their uh, spare time hobbies were about. And they created a full booklet for each of these uh, dimensions, which they now have as a, a reference book. Uh, in a sense, as a refresher, and it, it expanded their vocabulary again um, from, yeah, I'm not comfortable with this situation at such and such a place, and I can't quite describe why. Suddenly, they could uh, in, in really good language, uh, as I would put it. Um, so I thought that had real value. And when I say it's time for a refresh, they all show up. Thank you, Ted. So, Mary, we've talked now a bit about, uh, a lot actually, about uh, character and conduct uh, and culture in the financial institutions and bank setting. You've also, though, I think, had some experiences of where leader character has affected uh, culture uh, and conduct in other settings as well. Could you maybe take a few minutes to talk us, talk us about that and where the linkages are and the parallels are? Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things we often lose sight of is that organizations exist within the wider social uh, network where there are basic psychological and sociological forces that affect us all, whether that is social comparison, whether that's the bystander effect. So what happens in organizations, they simply amplify that the, the pressing, you know, psychological, sociological challenges that are, that are in our environment anyways. By, by the way, that's also why leader character matters, whether you're in or outside an organization, right? Is that because you still undergo those same pressures. So every organization has them uh, because they're nested within the larger context that they, that they face. So their issues are how do they uh, navigate or shape those those forces. So something like social comparison, are you going to amplify it with your uh, compensation scheme or uh, how you reward or promote people? And what does that look like? Now, so then let's join another piece. So that's, that's the, the, the issue of what is it you're going to manifest in terms of your culture. Conduct, although most other organizations don't use that term, FIs tend to use conduct quite a bit, but others, it's you know just behavior. Well, what are they interested? They're interested in high performance. Most organizations are interested in high performance. 
they're also interested in risk management. Like they don't want the ticking time bombs that are going to blow up underneath them. And, uh, you know, whether that's poor decisions uh, in an organization or hiring the wrong people or promoting the wrong people, you know, those are all sorts of issues. So the point is, is that all of this matters to every organization. And, you know, we find whatever industry we're working in, you know, whether it's the private sector or the public sector, uh, character matters. So, yeah, Bill, I would say every organization is, of course, interested in these, uh, these really pivotal and uh, leverage points uh, for performance. Thank you, Mary. Um, and I think we're starting to see more and more organizations realize that and, and as you say, uh, start to use it in a very effective way. Uh, maybe as, a, as sort of the last area I'd like to discuss a little bit uh, with you, Ted, is just talking about from an individual perspective, because you've been an ambassador for this, you've been someone who's been experimenting with it and using it in, a, in different ways. Maybe you could just take a few minutes and share with, uh, with our audience, you know, how you've used leader characters, you know, and what you've learned in your own life uh, with your team inside of your organization, and just share with people, you know, that, that journey that you've taken as well. I mean, I was struck by the model straight away, and it was it wasn't just the uh, the solidity uh, of the academic underpinning of it all. It, it made sense sort of in, immediately, and you could see the value of it immediately. You know, not in the first day, but but very quickly. It's like um, so. Everybody who knows me generally knows that I'm a water skier, uh, tournament slalom all the time, and a couple of years ago. I bought a new water ski, is beauty, and right out of the box, I skied so much better than I ever had in my life. I couldn't believe it. Um, everyone commented on it. Um, good ski. It was a six M. If you want to know, leader characters is like right out of the box. It makes a difference. Just knowing the the picture of the wheel and what's what it contains, and the sort of the behavioral link underneath it. Um, you don't have to, uh, you know, be too versed in, in this to sort of get the value of it. Um, and that's one of the first things that I, like, I really liked about it. Um, so right away, you could ask yourself, mm, I really should show a bit more humanity on this, shouldn't I? I should think about that before I respond. Um, or I've got a, a call where such and such a situation, mm, I should try and channel a bit more of uh, accountability or perhaps it's courage or whatever it might be. And it, it made just a little difference, just a little one. Um, and gradually, you sort of do that more often. And I don't do it every day. I don't do it all the time. Um, but uh, occasionally I do it. I did it just before this webinar. Um, and I, th I think it's a really valuable tool that way. Uh, my whole family likes it. They understand it. We talk about it. Their friends talk about it. Uh, and it, it sort of mushrooms out from that. So you develop a bit of a, a wider discussion. So I really like that about it, that it's not some esoteric, you have to be inducted and pass the initiation ceremony kind of thing. It's just so basic um, uh, and, and, and valuable, immediately valuable. And other regulators, I mean, they're, they're getting it. Um, we had the pleasure of... of uh, attending the New York Federal Reserve Roundtable uh, with 25 regulators from around the world, all interested in this uh, as they 
themselves move from just being prudentially oriented to prudential and conduct and their efforts to try and encourage other regulators around the world to do the same thing. This is, is a model and it's a, it's a discussion, it's a form of talking that enables uh, people to sort of understand, to get it and see the value of it. Um, so I'm really encouraged about not just my own uh, use of it, but my own ability to, or, or luck, to have helped initiate a number of conversations uh, of this nature. Thank you, Ted. Um, that's a great summary and a great way to, uh, to, to tie up the conversation that we've had today. Mary, anything else you wanted to add? Well, I d- definitely want to reinforce uh, the, the, what I talked about at the very beginning, Ted, you know, that uh, not only have you embraced the, the work around leader character for yourself, but you've seen its wider scope. And you really have been an ambassador to try to create and foster the links uh, to enable the conversations that need to be had. And this engaged scholarship approach, I, I, I think it's really an example of how academia and you know practice can work together to do really phenomenal things. And, and this is one of those areas that really merits that, that kind of uh, quality of combination. So I want to thank you for your ongoing efforts in this area. It's been fantastic working with you. Well, I, I appreciate the words. Thanks very much, Mary. It's, um, I felt like I slipped in the side door of your big effort and uh, have been enjoying this ride ever since. And I'm not keen to get off this train. I think it still has a long way to travel. And, you know, whether it's thinking about personal and, you know, I keep it handy uh, or uh, engaging with uh, other firms and and trying to get them to think about this a little bit more. uh, I think of leader character, it's so versatile in how it can be used uh, individually and organizationally. It's like the Swiss army knife of individual and organizational development. Um, No matter where you put it to use, it can add real value whether it's complete transformation of your organization or just a slight tweak, it makes a difference. Thank you, Ted. So uh, thanks again to you, uh, Ted, and also to Mary. Um, I think this was a great episode talking about uh, how character, conduct, and culture all fit together within the financial services area and how that can be broadened and expanded to other areas as well. And some of the comments that Mary made, more generally speaking, around how how culture and character are connected. Um, there's lessons, I think, here for uh, you know individuals, for people uh, in HR, in the C-suite, uh, for CEOs and for regulators, all as a way to get at these very difficult issues of how do we manage uh, conduct and misconduct and how do we manage uh, culture and culture risk. Um, I think there's no question leadership character is this, is, is this foundational building block Uh, that at the individual level upon which uh, individual conduct and culture, and as Mary was mentioning earlier, those cultural interactions that occur every single day. And it's a way to shape that in a very positive uh, way. Um, And that leads to, you know, increased well-being and better outcomes right across the organization. So um, a big thank you again to you, Ted. Uh, I think this has been a fabulous episode. You bring so much to the discussion today and always have. I've been looking forward to, and Mary and I were planning this episode when we were first planning out all of the episodes and we wanted to have you inside of our 
inside of our top 10. Um, again, thanks from Mary and I for all you've done to advance the adoption of leadership character across so many different sectors. Uh, the pioneering work that you've done, uh, the positive changes that you've made in, in, in countless organizations and in countless lives. And I think those, again, as I've mentioned to other people that have really been pioneers here, uh, I think these ripples will extend in positive ways um, for a long time in ways that you can't even imagine. Uh, we wish you best of luck, of course, in your future endeavors. And we hope to, and we will, of course, stay in close touch on that. And we'd love to have you come back sometime and maybe give us updates to as to the progress that you're making in those different areas. So thank you again. I look forward to that. Thank you very much, Mary and Bill. So if you've liked what you've heard today, uh, then please share with your friends and your colleagues. If you really liked what you heard today, then please consider subscribing to our podcast. We also have a website called questionofcharacter.com where we'll post this episode and other episodes and also any of the links that have come up in the discussions that we've had today. It's also a place where you can send us any of your comments, your ideas, and maybe even suggestions for future episodes. We'll also post links to the Ian O. Inatowitz Institute for Leadership at the Ivy Business School, where there's even more research, more articles, and information about the Ivy Leader Character Framework. So it's time to uh, wrap up. Uh, Ted? Thanks very much, Bill and Mary. Good to be here, Ted, and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you in person in the near future. Thank you both, Ted and Mary. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good day.